Welcome to AdultBibleStories.com. Our vicarious God is vicarious people. My name is Jeff, and we're doing a hop, skip, and jump through the Bible. So anybody who's just now getting into the Word of God, you can have a basic understanding of where everything is. If you ever heard of statements like, greater is he that is in me, or there's more for me than against me, and, you know, by his stripes we are healed, we're going to go over those things. You're going to find out where uh, those are in the Bible. But right now we're doing in Corinthians and we're going on a third video in 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 12. So let's do a hop, skip and jump through Corinthians chapter 12. And we're staying in chapter 12 and we're jumping down to verse 7 so we can talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, we get gifts from the uh, gifts from God the Father called grace gifts. We're going to find out in Romans and then we have gifts from Jesus. He gave gifts unto men which are found in Ephesians and now these are the gifts from the Holy Spirit. Now to each one of the manifestation of the spirits is given to the common good. To one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge. Now the message of wisdom is just an understanding of what to do, the right thing to do in a situation. The message of knowledge is about knowing something that you didn't uh, get from your from your natural sense. You didn't you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, you didn't feel it, you didn't touch it, you didn't taste it. But it's a spiritual knowledge. As the knowledge comes down, so you can understand a situation that didn't come in a natural means. All these things are supernatural, by the way. By means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit. We all give them the same measure of faith. You're born again. We're all given the same measure of faith. But there is a faith that you know comes upon us to to believe for greater things beyond something that's beyond ourselves. Uh, to another gift of heal, uh, healing and to, uh, uh, by that one spirit to another miracle, um, miraculous powers. So healing of sickness and disease, miraculous powers. I don't know, you know, growing of fingers, uh, of, of tumors falling off, you know, or you know, just different things like that. To another prophecy. Uh, prophecy means a, a prophecy in the basic understanding is is an encouraging word, a, a right now word, uh, uh, something that helps you in the situation. Sometimes it also means a foretelling of what's happening in the future. Uh, to another, distinguishing between spirits. Distinguish between spirits is, you know, simply kind of like knowing if somebody's doing something from the heart or they're just doing to doing it or they're doing it from, a, you know, if an evil presence is there, are they being, you know, uh, motivated by hate or anger or just ignorance? Um, that's, that's a good good gift to have, you know, so, so we can understand those things. Uh, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Different kinds of tongues, different, uh, you know, French, Spanish, Japanese, Korean, you know, or uh, a Farsi or whatever. People have different tongues. And still another interpretation of tongues, meaning you understand it, you, you interpret it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not, you know, word for word interpretation, but it's kind of an understanding. And all these things work to, to the one of the same spirit, and he gives to them each one just as he determines. So there's nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and when you become born again, you know, uh, and fill up the Holy Spirit, continue filling yourself with the Word of God, and you start overflowing, you're going to have these gifts are going to come in you. These things are going to start operating in you. And therefore, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of the whole body of Christ, benefit those people around you. So let's hop, skip, and jump. Uh, going down to uh, verse 12, we talk about one body, many parts. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and those parts are many. They form one body. So, you know, we are one body of Christ. There's many different people, many different colors, many different backgrounds, but uh, we're coming together as one body of Christ. We shouldn't have divisions of denominations or, you know, we have this doctrine, all of a sudden this doctrine is different, so now you got a division here, you got another group of people. But we're all one body centered on what Jesus did for us.
goes down to ver- hop skip uh, four, 14 says now the body is not made up of one part but of many if the foot should say because i'm not a hand i do not belong to the body if i'm not a hand i not belong to the body now i like to go to different parts of the body of christ i like to go to different denominations different people because i want to hear how they see scripture what god has told them because every denomination that has come out through the ages usually has something they focused on like the baptist focused on focused on salvation evangelism the methodist mythology on on not not mythology but methods on how how to renew our mind and so forth the pentecostals are kind of focused on the gifts of the spirit and holy spirit but i like to hear what everybody has to say but just because I'm, you can, I can go, we can all go and, and fellowship of different parts of the body doesn't mean we belong to that part of the body. And right, Sanders says, because I am not a, uh, a foot, you know, uh, if I'm not for that, an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. He's talking about these different parts of the body. Or a hand and a foot is quite different. You know, a hand can't say, you know, I don't need you foot because, you know, our hand is limited. Our hand is only limited as far it can reach. And if we want to reach further, then it depends on the foot to walk there so we can reach there. But the same thing with feet. If our feet just go somewhere, how is it going to obtain what it's trying to get without the hand? Now, many of us in the body of Christ, some are called missionaries. Some are called to be the feet of Jesus. They go out throughout all the world. They go out to different countries, different nations, different groups of people, even in your city, you know, outreaches. They're, they're, they're feet. And and. And so hands, you know, you don't walk on your hands. You're not going to get too far, so you need the feet to go out. But once you get there, you need the hands to go out and embrace, to, to gather in those close, closer to the body of Christ, which is, which is Jesus and, and us in him. So we need both parts. But just as I was talking about earlier, how, how we, can, we can fellowship and enjoy one another, we've got to find our place. We've got to find out exactly where we belong. Even goes on to here, says... You know, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, um, just as he wanted it to be. We're, we're still in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's about verse 18. But in fact, God has, has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So we can't just go be part of the body of Christ we want to be. God is the one who's placed us in it. we got to know. So even if you are a hand, you know, a hand can fellowship of any part of the body. A hand can give a foot rub. A hand could, you know, give a pat on the shoulder or on the neck. You know, a, a hand, you know, could assist putting on a shoe, putting on a belt. A hand can assist just about any part of the body. But a hand's got to be attached to the wrist to be, be fruitful, to be effective. What would happen if a hand was attached to the kneecap because it liked the knee and it liked the leg? Or a hand being attached to the ankle? No. But a hand is best place for it to be is attached attached to you know a wrist you know wrist attached to the forearm you know the forearm attached to the elbow and so forth it moves up and so we got to find out exactly where we're are more fruitful where we where we help you know we can help best in, in a part of the body of Christ so we just can't be anywhere we can fellowship with one another and we should fellowship with one another we should be helping with one another in fact it goes on here to hop skip and jump down you know it's talking about about the parts of the body, hop skipping down, verse 25. So, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So if we're the feet that walk off and that can go to another nation, that can be a missionary or go to the outer reaches of a city, or whether we're, we're at arms, you know, arms length, that's about as far as we go, as far as we can reach out, as far as our family, as far as, as, far as our job, as far as you know, uh, our church. Maybe that's as far as you go because you're that. But we should have equal concern for those who can go far from those who can only go so far and not think one is better than the other because we need the whole body of Christ. 
Now you are the body of Christ in verse 27, still in chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first apostles, secondary prophets. Now he's talking about all the people in, you know, in the church, in the, in the body of Christ. Some are apostles, second prophets, third teachers, workers of, uh, workers of miracles, also those who have gifts of healing, those who are able to help others, those with gifts of ministration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. So whatever part of the body of Christ you're in, you're going to have... You're going to have a place to their apostles, you know, ones who are sent out, one of those who are lead and, and, and revive and direct. Prophets, one of those who call those things out that are not as if they are, and so forth. Uh, third, teachers who teach the ways of the Lord. The workers, workers of miracles, you know, not just miracles of healing and, and deliverance and that kind of stuff, but, man, there's some people that can get some things done and you just think it's a miracle. Also, those having gifts of healing. And those were able to help others, you know, the help ministry. I, I like the help ministry. I like to be number two. I always like to help the first guy, of, you know, the leader of the department or leader of the, you know, whatever. I like to help. And gifts of administration and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. But then he goes on to say, we're not all apostles, are there? Are all prophets, all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healings, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? But it says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Well, what's the greater gifts? Well, the one that God has empowered you to do. The one the Holy Spirit is, is working through you. That's the greater gift. Don't go looking for somebody else's. Don't, uh, you know, covet somebody else's. You want to be all that you can be, be the best you in Christ Jesus. What God has given you, the gifts. You want to walk in the gifts that God has given you. Once again, if you're a hand, you want to be that hand. You don't want to be attached to your kneecap. You don't want to be attached to, you know, your ankle <laughs> or your back or your neck. You want to be attached to the wrist, so find your place, and, and God will make you very fruitful. And, it's, and it goes on to verse, uh, we're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and now I will show you the most excellent way. So now he's just talking about all the gifts, and we all want gifts. We all want power, right? But now he starts going back into love. And this chapter 13 is called the love chapter, and this is the kind of love that unless you're born again, unless you have Jesus in your eyes, and your heart, you're not going to be able to carry out. There's another love chapter I call the love chapter is Romans chapter 12 is all practical uh, ways of love. But anybody, you know, can do practical ways of love, you know, giving somebody a gift, giving somebody a card, encouraging somebody. But chapter 13, you cannot do this without having your eyes on Christ, being born again and having your eyes on Christ and seeking that to walk in this love. It says, if I speak in tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, if I have knowledge and have faith and I can move mountains, and I have, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. <laughs> so it means you can do all kinds of things. You can, uh, in fact, there's going to be a lot of people one day knocking, you know, Jesus is going to shut the door and they're going to be knocking, hey, Jesus, let us in. And Jesus says, I don't know you. And they're going to say, but what, you know, we laid down our lives for you. We went out in your name. We, you know, we came and heard you preach. In fact, we preached ourselves in your name. We cast out demons. We healed the sick. And Jesus says, I don't know you because they didn't have love. There's even people who says, I give, I give all I possess to the poor. You can give everything away to the poor and still not have love. And surrender your body to, you know, to burn, but have, but still have not love. How is that possible? Well, not everybody, you know, what, what do you desire most? A lot of people may, may try to buy love with their things. They may try to buy power with their things. They're doing things not for the right motive, but for wrong motives. You know, and in fact, I've known people giving things to the poor, but man, they're acting haughty. They're like, they think they're better than the poor. I used to uh, lead a ministry um, 
with Love Street Ministries, we'd go on the street and, uh, and hand out sack lunches. I was taught by the woman who started Love Street Ministries, and we'd go out and hand out sack lunches and, and talk to people. And sometimes we'd bring some people out that wouldn't understand it. Just because you're poor, just because you're homeless, doesn't mean you know, don't know Christ. It just means, means you, you know, there's trials and tribulations in this world. It means you may not have all the principles on how, how to live a, 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 you know, the life that you need to live. But it doesn't mean you don't know Christ, but sometimes people give to the poor with this haughty attitude like I'm better than you, and that's not love. If you're giving to the poor thinking you're better, you're thinking, oh, poor, you know, poor person, you know, if it wasn't for me. No. In fact, the Pharisees went out and they blew trumpets every time they would give to the poor. And if you're doing that, if you're bringing attention to yourself, then you're, you, you know, it's, it's in vanity what you're doing. You've got to have real love. You've got to really care for the poor. And it goes on, it says, love is patient. You know, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not rude. It means if you see somebody at church just talking to somebody, don't just jump up there and break up the conversation because you think you have something better to say. You may have something better to say, but love is not rude. You know, so forth. You can go up there and they'll see you and they're going to know you, but don't take away. Don't break up those things. Love is, love is not rude. Love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. This is some hard stuff, I'm gonna, and I'm going to do a teaching on this so we can really break this down, because at least, like I said, you can be bored again, but your eyes have got to be on Jesus. You've got to be focused on this. Your cup's got to be overflowing for this stuff to happen. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always, always protects. Even protects somebody's reputation. So don't go gossiping. Even, even if it is true, protect them. It always, you know, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But then Paul goes on to say, and hop, skip, and jump to verse 9, says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So if you ever wondered when people say, you know, well, we know in part, you know, I didn't know everything, I just said what I knew, this is where it came from. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. God doesn't give any anybody on this earth that's ever had flesh and blood, even Jesus. You know, Jesus says, I don't know that, that, that you know, no man knows the day and hour. God hasn't even told the angels or him when he's going to return. And how much more us <laughs> that we don't know. So if you're wondering when the end of days are going to be, you wonder when Christ is going to come back and you're looking at some preachers that you can focus on. No, they only know in part. They only know in part. So you, so we need to keep our eyes on Jesus you know, and, and make sure we're doing our part so that when he comes, we're not caught off guard because everyone else here only knows in part. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse or to chapter 14. Now, now we're going into tongues. We had chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit. You had chapter 13. Well, let's go back to chapter 13 one second. It talks about 13, 13. It says, and these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So if you're wondering where faith, hope, and love came from, it's right there. Now verse uh, chapter 14. He had chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit, power, and you know, and majesty, and all that kind of stuff. Then chapter 13 talking about humbling yourself and walking in love. Then you got chapter 14 talking about tongues and prophecy. In this chapter 14, this, this tongues here is not a known tongue like, you know, Holy Spirit was come upon me and I start speaking French because there's a French guy over there who only speaks in French and uh, he needs to hear the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit's working on that and, and so forth. But this is not the tongue he's talking about. This tongue here is a tongues of a, what some people would call consider gibberish. Tongues, it's not a known language. It doesn't have the, um, the rules of what we consider languages here on earth. But it's, it's, a, it's a tongue talking to God and it's a tongue that every believer should have. 
every born-again person should have. I know there's a lot of bickering and fighting and debating rather than not, but this whole chapter 14 is talking about the tongues, and we're going to go over a few things. It would take a whole message to really get you focused on what tongues is about. Let's hop, skip, and jump to chapter 14, verse 2. For anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to men but to God. So not speak to men but not to God. So if you're English and you speak English and all of a sudden you start speaking French, you're not talking to God. You're probably talking to a French person. You're talking Farsi. You're probably talking to somebody from you know Iran, you know, and and, and so forth. It's gonna be somebody in Iran. So you're not talking a language that can be uh, be translated by any human. You're speaking in tongues. You're speaking to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men to strengthen encouragement and comfort. So he's talking about. If you're, going to, if you're going to have this gift of tongues, and everybody should have the gift in tongues, you need to do it quietly or you need to do it alone because when you're with people, nobody's going to understand what you have to say, especially if there's strangers coming in. They're going to think you're nuts, and a lot of, a lot of them do. But he says, instead, you'd rather prophesy, which means you should give an encouraging word. You should seek, Lord, to give you, give you a, a encouraging word for somebody, somebody that, that can make their day, somebody that can shed light on their darkness, that can help them. Let's hop, skip, and jump down to... Uh, Uh, verse 9 on chapter 14 so it is with you unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue how will anyone know what you're saying so once again this is tongues is not a language like french or you know or spanish or you know or even english it's it's, it's a tongue that can't be translated by man unless you have the gifts of, of, of interpretation of tongues says, so you will be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he's a foreigner to me. So let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse uh, 14, 15. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my mind. So it's also talking about praying in tongues, but also singing in tongues, singing with our spirit, and so forth. Hop, skip, and jump down to verse 18. Here's Paul. Now, this would be an arrogant statement if it wasn't possible. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, that would be an arrogant statement if Paul didn't believe that everybody should be speaking in tongues, have the gift of speaking in tongues as a language to God. I thank God I speak more I speak more in tongues than all of you. That would just be an arrogant statement to somebody who can't speak in tongues. But no, he's stating that, he's stating that, it says, after I focus, focus so much on prophecy, I do pray in tongues. I do speak in tongues a lot. I just, you're just not seeing me because out in public, you know, and around people, I want to speak in encouraging words, something that's going to benefit you and not me because speaking in tongues benefits me and not you. And he says, I thank God that I do that because I wouldn't be, if I don't get built up, and you'll find that in, in the book of Jude, built up and speaking in tongues, then then when we come together, I won't have a whole lot to prophesy about. And so so this is a statement, if you, if you wondered if tongues is for everybody, or if people are telling you that tongues is only for certain people, or tongues are done away with, or whatever like that, no, nah, no, it's not. Let's do a hop and skip and jump. We're staying in chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, um, going down to verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together? Everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. They're talking about the tongues, you know, speaking a, a word, to God, word to God, which is not a known language, but somebody interprets it. I mean, it's not a word for word, but I kind of generally understand what, what you're saying in tongues. Hey, it's God's, it's God's gift, so, you know, <laughs> a tongue interpretation. All of them must be done to strengthen of the church. So when we come together, all of us should have a hymn. You should come to church to serve. Jesus came to you know serve and not to be served, to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You know, and too many times we go to church to get our blessing on and get blessed. And that's all good and we should be get blessed. But it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we need to go to church ready and willing to give. Give somebody an encouraging word to help somebody, to, you know, to be a light, you know, in somebody's path when they're walking in, in darkness and depression. And it says anyone who has a hymn or a word of instruction, or revelation, a tongue or interpretation, we need to become ready and come to the church when we come to the church. When we gather together, hop, skip, and jump. We're going down to uh, staying in chapter 14, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everyone should be done as a fit and orderly way. So, yeah, there are people that, that, that you know, speak in tongues and they do it real loud and they do it in front of people and all that kind of stuff, but it says it's a fitting and orderly way. But we should not forbid it. Now, why should why should we not forbid it? Because one thing, it's a gift to God, and not only a gift to the church, but a gift to an individual. But he's also saying that because a lot of people use tongues in the wrong way. So, so we just have to deal with it. You know, if Satan can't get us in the ditch on the left side, he'll get us in the ditch on the right side. So we got to be like a car driving a car and making sure, always correcting ourselves when you're driving. You're always making a little correction so you're not off in the ditch one way or another. Hop, skip, and jump to chapter 15 in First Corinthians. It says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. That would not be good. How could you believe in vain? Which means you believed it, but you didn't follow through with it. You dropped it. You let go. You fumbled, you know, so forth. It goes on to verse 3. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. This is first important. What's the first important to a Christian? First importance is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's first and most important. You know, you're, you believe in your heart and confess from your mouth, you know, that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead. <laughs> That's the first and foremost, uh, you know, uh, importance. If, if you lose that, if you forget that, if you neglect such great salvation, then you could li easily live your Christian life in vain. So let's hop, skip, and jump down to verse 10. Of uh, chapter 15 but by the grace of God I am what I am and by his grace was not without effect so once again if you ever heard that by his grace I am what I am that's where it's found and uh, and yet not I but the grace of God was with me so he's talking about working harder and that's what I plan on doing if you know if you're like me you know you've been a Christian for a while and uh, you haven't been really Laying those treasures up for heaven, you haven't been focused and you haven't been pressing in. You haven't been giving your whole life to the Lord, forsaking everything for God so you can get that crown of righteousness, so you can get that crown and have many works. Then now is the time to do it. Now is a press forward. Take a hold of that grace that many people are, are not using. Take hold of that grace that, that people are failing, it talks about, and, and, and do more. Accomplish more in the name of Jesus and, and receive a great reward. I'm telling you, the life that we have after this. Is going to be so much better than what we have now. So let's not live for the here and now. Let's live for eternity. Let's look beyond the cross, receive our you know joy beyond the cross like Jesus did, and live for God right now. Jesus says, "I only do what I see my Father do, and I only speak what I hear my Father speak." And the way He says, "You know, speak it." That's just crazy to us that we can live that way. But Jesus lived that way, and we need to live that way if we want to have a great resurrection, which He's going to talk about here—the resurrection of the dead. That's what we're moving into. 
And as, so we're saying in chapter 15, we're hop, skip, and jumping to, to verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So he's talking about there is no resurrection. Some people say, well, Jesus died in the flesh, but he raised in the spirit only. No, Jesus raised in the flesh and blood. We had Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can touch your flesh and blood. And Thomas touched him, and, and, and Thomas, and they'll believe. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in spirit, soul, and body, his physical body with the with the marks on his hands and the marks on his feet and the marks on his back and the marks in his, his side are still there because he's raised. And if Jesus is raised, then we're going to be raised. Because if Jesus wasn't raised, then we're dead in our sins still. Then none of this gospel is true. So let's hop, skip, and jump. We're staying in chapter 15, the verse uh, 25. So it says, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The last enemy that God is going to put under the feet of Jesus is death. Death is an enemy. You know, we're living in a death culture nowadays. That You know, we're, we're worshiping death. Uh, you know, we have holidays centered around death. You know, we're, we're increasing. We're, abortion is about death. We're, instead of giving new life, we're taking life away and giving death. Where you know people are looking into, and even states now are, are offering the elderly early death. You know, people that are in pain and sick and can't go on, we're offering them early death. And even in places in other nations, another part of the world, are often those who just want to who just want to get out of this world, assisted suicide. I'm gonna tell me something. If you're thinking about suicide, that you know that's a that's a <laughs> that's a permanent permanent solution for you know, temporary, I guess, you know, temporary problem. You, I'm not saying that you're not having a bad situation, you know, a hard time because, you, you know, I mean, you probably are, but there is an answer. God has answers. And if you're in pain and sickness and hurting from a car wreck, you know, you know, there, there is life. There is healing with Jesus. Meditate on the word of God. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not reducing your situation at all. You know, if you're old and sick and don't have a family and you wish, you know, death would come, well, fight it. And that's why we Christians, you know, are not drowned at baptism, but we continue on. We don't want to die. We we have overcome death, but we don't want to die because we're afraid of death. We don't want to die because we have a job to do. We want to get the gospel out. We have a new life in us. God breathes a new life in us. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We want to go out. So death is an enemy, and we must, as a Christian, we must resist death. We must walk on death and, and over, overcome those things. So if you're thinking about suicide, you know, call somebody, have some, you know, call somebody and, and so they can pray for you so they can help you because that's, that's not the way out. No, I'm not, you know, no, I'm not saying to you that, you know, death is, is, is the ultimate sin or the unpardonable sin. You know, I understand there are different reasons for suicide, but, <laughs> but we don't know somebody's heart. We don't know why somebody did, you know, what they did. But we also don't want to give you the right hand of fellowship and say, go ahead, you're okay. No, no, trust God. Resist death. Resist the enemy that's going to one day put under your feet as it's put on the feet of Jesus. That's a good word. Let's hop, skip, and jump. And we're staying in verse, uh, chapter 15 and going down to verse 31. And here's Paul says, I die every day. Now, if you've heard people says we need to die to the flesh, or Paul says, you know, you know, I die every day. That's where that, that comes from. Some people say he dies every day because he's he's facing death every day from robbers and from, you know, sickness and cold and hunger and all those kind of things. And he was facing those things, but I think he meant that he got up that that he got up every morning and says, I'm going to die to the flesh. I'm going to deny my flesh because I know today is not going to turn out perfectly. It's not, it's not going to turn out everything I want it. So if I'm going to walk in the ways of God, then I've got to start, decide to die to myself. And yeah, we are dead in Christ. You know, we are alive in Christ Jesus, but we're dead to sin. 
And the scripture also says that because the baptism is talking about how we died to sin and then we're raised up in righteousness of Christ Jesus. Um, so some people say dying to self or, or denying self. A lot of people use those interchangeable. And there is a difference between those. And some people make a great difference, a great chasm. But I don't want to get caught up in bickering over words or, or phrases or statements. But we need to decide to deny ourselves every day. We need to decide that everything's not going to go my way today. But we can triumph in Christ Jesus. If we're looking to please God, if we're looking to bless somebody, then we're going to have to choose to deny ourselves every day and, and, and move on. Let's go uh, hop, skip, and jump to verse 33. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. So if he says, do not be misled, is it possible for us to be misled? Oh, yeah. We're being misled all the time. Bad company corrupts good character. We cannot hang around somebody, you know, that has bad character, you know, a bad company, and not corrupt our good character. I know we would like to think so. You know, I've read the Bible. I'm, I'm always full of the Word of God. I'm full of all this kind of stuff. So we think we can go hang out with somebody and, and, and influence them. A lot of times, we, that's what people think. Well, I'm going to influence them. Well, it's great. If you're full of the Word of God, if you're, you know, and you have all the light and you, you are you, you are influencing them to become, a, you know, a better person, to turn their life to Christ, to submit to God, resist the, you know, to resist the devil, then by all means. But... But this is where you can be misled because there's so many people that think they're in that situation, but they're not they're not the influencer. They're the one being influenced, and they're being influenced by bad character, which is corrupt in their good manners. So don't be misled. Don't be misled down that, that way. If you're not strong enough to be around somebody to walk in the light, then you need to separate yourself from that person until you are strong enough to walk in a greater light so you can have the influence. You know, if you're just the moon, the moon gives off some light, you know, but you want to be the sun. You want to be the sun that gives off the greater light. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 39. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is no evolution. Evolution is not true. There is no evidence of evolution. God created man in his own kind, in his own uh, uh, way, in his own character, in his own likeness, and so forth. We're not. It's, it's, verse 39 says, all flesh is not the same. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have other. Birds another and fish another. You know, that's why we have, eat one day, we eat red meat. We eat, you know, cows. Next day we eat, we eat fish, which is different, different kind of meat, different kind of flesh. And then we eat chicken, which is a different kind of flesh than, than everything else. We did not come from fish. We did come. There is no such thing as evolution. You know, everything comes after its own kind, its own seed. There is no cross that way. No, I don't know people want to believe it because simply they just don't want to believe that there is a God who judges sin. They want to believe that everything just comes just the way it is. But it says, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds have another, and fish another. Flesh doesn't change. A fish didn't come out of the water and change flesh and become a man or become a bird or so forth. There are heavenly bodies and there are and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of earthly bodies is one another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and stars different from stars in splendor. So will it be in the resurrection of the dead. So once again, just like there's no evolution, guess what? There is no socialism in the kingdom of God. There is no communism in the kingdom of God. Not everybody. When we get when we get raised again, if you're you know when we get raised up and we have our resurrected bodies, we're not going to all have the same gifts. We're not going to all have the same blessings in heaven. Some are going to have greater. Some of us are going to shine brighter because of what we did for the Lord down here. 
Yeah, God makes us perfect, but you think if we're all going to get the same reward, you're, you're, you're wrong. Right here, it talks about we're going to differ from the stars. When you look in the sky at the night and see the stars, some of them are brighter than others. You know, and some of them are, you can barely see. And that's going to be just like when we get to heaven. There's going to be some Christians that barely have light. There's other ones that are going to be so bright that you got, that you got to wear shades. And I'm going to be one of those. I'm going to be one of those that people are going to have to put shades on because I want to be so bright for the Lord. I want to have that light. I want to have that resurrection from the dead that is great and, and glorious and, and so forth. So there is no socialism. We're not all getting the same prize. We're not all getting. In fact, some people are going to get to heaven. They're going to get a gold rattle. And man, you're going to be excited about that gold rattle. But the rest of us are going to get the full package, you know. So I'm going to have to teach on more than that, especially if you go to uh, um, One Kingdom. Um, Dot TV. I'm going to teach a whole lot about against socialism and, and communism and, and God's type of government, kingdom of God. Hop, skip, and jump to, um, to verse 50. It says, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to get in the kingdom of God by doing things natural. You, got, you must be born again. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you will not even see the kingdom of God. But you must be born with a water and fire to enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot enter the kingdom of God because you can quote John 3.16 or Romans 8.28 or any scripture or, or so, so forth. You must be born again. And he goes on to verse 51. It says, listen, I tell you a mystery. So here's a mystery. God has mysteries. We will not sleep, but we will be changed in a flash in the twinkle of an eye in the, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and perishable and we will be changed. So he's talking about the rapture of the church or the taking away of the church or the gathering of, of God's people. I know some people will say, well, I tell you, well, the rapture's not in the Bible. Well, I have to say that you're probably not in the Bible either, because if you were in the Bible, then you would, yeah, you would see that there is no word rapture, but the idea of being taken out, the idea of being raptured out of here is, is throughout Scripture. So, so I'm not trying to be mean, but there's a whole lot of people want to deny the rapture. In fact, Scripture says that that's going to happen. I'm not going to be one of those. When the last trumpet sounds, I'm going. You can stay here if you want. I'll give the keys of my house so you can take care of my yard because I'm coming back, you know, in a few years. So I want you to take care of my place. If you decide there's no rapture and you're going to stay here. <laughs> but I'm going with the last trumpet. Hop, skip, and jump. We're going down to verse 57. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. If you think you're in a situation where I, where you can't win, says I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to overcome. I'm not going to pass this test. I'm not going to get that job. You know, you got you got to focus on. He gives us the victory through through our Lord Jesus Christ. If the Lord authors it, you know, Jesus is the author and finisher of faith. If He authors it, He is quite willing to finish it. So once we know that it is God's will for us to do something to make it through, then we have the victory through Christ Jesus. We got to hold. We just got to hold on to what He has said to us. So we're staying in 1 Corinthians, hop, skip, and jump to chapter 16, and verse 2. It says, On the first day of every week, every one of you should set aside of money in keeping with his income. So if you ever wondered why we have church on Sunday, this is one reason. Uh, back then, you know, the, the Jews worshipped God on Saturday, and the, since the Jews were not allowed into the, uh, since the Gentiles were not allowed into the um, temple, we started having, you know, church on Sunday. Paul would teach in the, in, the, in the temple and synagogues on Saturday and come to the house churches on Sunday. 
There's also other reasons why you have Sunday, like the Christians trying to differ themselves from the Jews because the Jews were really rebelling against Rome in the day. So and they just thought the Christians were just another sect of the Jewish denomination. So we separate ourselves. Well, hey, we don't do Saturday. We do Sunday. And then there's and there's several other things as well. But also, but also want to know is why do we have offerings on Sunday? Well, here's another reason, you know, to collect offerings on Sunday. And we do a hop and skip and jump to uh, we're staying in chapter 16 to uh, verse 6 perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me with my journey wherever I go well how are you going to help them just encouraging words no because offerings you need money you know there's people sent you know I was talking about earlier how some of us are feet in the body of Christ we got to go to go the distance the only way to go the distance is we need money to go the distance and so Paul is saying you know so you can help me and a verse, top skip and jump to verse 9, it says, Because a great door for effective work has opened for me, and there are many who oppose me. So if you're a preacher, you're a teacher, you know, a prophet, God opens doors that no man can open and closes doors that no man can close. Even so, God does that. <laughs> There's going to be people oppose you. But even in a general terms, even all of us, even if you have an opportunity, no matter what it is, people are going to oppose you. You know, if there's a position at work that you apply for and you get the job, there's going to be people who oppose you. If you say you're going to do something, if you're in the midst of friends and say, I'm going to go get a college degree, you're going to have friends who are going to oppose you. God opens doors for you. Get ready. Satan's going to oppose you and he's going to send people to oppose you. So even though God opens doors and no man can open and closes doors and no man can close, go through them. Go through the open door. But know there's going to be opposition. Be ready for the opposition when you come out the other door. Hop, skip, and jump down to verse 13 of chapter 16. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. And do everything in love. Stand guard. Well, some of us men, we can stand guard. We can be a rough guard. And stand firm. Oh, yeah, I'm standing firm. Nobody's going to take me. Nobody's going to trick me. Nobody's going to deceive me. And faith. And the men, be men of courage. Oh, I'm strong. I'm courage. And be strong. Oh, yeah. But then it says, then do everything in love. So even as you're, as you're guarding, as you're standing firm, as you're being men and women of courage, as you're being strong, we've got to stand in love. We've got to walk in love. We've got to do everything in love. So don't become hard, a hard Christian. You know, uh, one day, the Lord kind of prompted me to, to give some money to this, uh, to this guy. And so I followed this guy and approached him and asked him if he was a Christian. And then he says, yeah, why? You got a problem with it? <laughs> I said, no, I just, I just felt like the Lord, you know, had compassion on you and I wanted to give you you know give you some money saying it's from God well he was standing guard but he wasn't walking in love he was really you know expecting the worst of worst maybe he walked through that door and, and saw that opposition the opposition was too much um, and so forth so we need to do everything in love let's hop skip and jump we're still in chapter 16 of Corinthians going down to verse 17 this is this is rough I was glad when uh, Stephanus or I don't know these names arrived three people arrived <laughs> because they have supplied which was lacking from you for they re refreshed my spirit and yours also such men deserve recognition recognized <laughs> tongue-tied there now can you imagine that going to church on sunday and your pastor says well these these guys over here are on the front row they made up for what you guys were lacking you know, what you didn't give me so I can go to the next level. Well, these guys, these guys need to be recognized. So everybody, let's, let's applaud. Let everybody just recognize these guys who gave beyond their means so they can make up for what you guys didn't give. I mean, could you imagine that going on at church? But here's Paul doing that. Man, we are, we are so watered down. 
we can't take any correction like they did here in, in, in this in this during this time let's hop skip and jump to verse 22 now this is even crazier here's paul in closing and close the book closing this letter first corinthians uh, chapter 16 22 if anyone does not love the lord a curse be on him come O lord you know i went to a church where the pastor would always you know close with uh, go with god or people would use uh, a lot of times use the benediction of, of, of the book of numbers talking about lord bless you and keep you and shine his face upon you and you know and give you and uh, give you life and so forth or jesus you know come but here he is he ends his with if anyone does not love the lord a curse be on you <laughs> Then he goes on and says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My, my love to all you in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine your pastor in your church? You know, you just heard you had anybody who needs the Lord, you know, just, just raise your hands or everybody bow your heads and raise your hands and, and everybody just confess this together. You know, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and you know, all this kind of stuff. And you say that and all of a sudden he gets up and says, if anyone does not love the Lord, I curse beyond him. That's just kind of different, you know. But this is Paul. This is... These scriptures are for our example. So do we, do we think Paul was right off? He's the one that says do everything in love just a few scriptures earlier. It says be on guard, walk people faith, be of courage. In fact, another, another um, scriptures he talks about, pray that he may have boldness and he may speak as he ought to speak. But here he is, he's being pretty bold and courageous and he's also walking in love. And he says, if anyone does not love the Lord, I curse beyond him. Can you imagine having your church service close that way? Well, the end of the Corinthians here, I'm not going to close that way because I'm not as bold as him. <laughs> but let the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. See you later.